Absolutely. It's going to be the number one tool because everything else is a little bit tricky. From what I've seen, the quickest way to get in an altered state is breath work. You know, absolutely. I mean, faster than hypnosis, faster than meditation, deep breaths through the nose is, is the quickest way to get there. And the fluid dynamics also correlate with the cleansing of the brain, which I feel DMT acts as an antioxidant, anti-inflammatory. So producing these sort of chemicals would seem to be optimal for the brain. There's enough evidence to show that you know, proper breath work, proper breathing causes more optimized fluid dynamics in the brain, allowing us to kind of clear out debris, not only when we sleep, but also when we're awake. That's John Chavez, and this is episode 326 of Wellness Force Radio. Wellness Force Radio, where we discover the physical and emotional intelligence to live life well. You can have the same brain states as someone who's done an hour of meditation every day for 40 years. There's a lot of losses that we go through, so the ability to be able to cope with those losses is very important to build skill in it, because loss will happen. You know, you have to have spiritual courage to really grow spiritually, because if you really want to take guidance from your soul, you have to be ready to realize that many of the things that you're asking for guidance on, your ego has some kind of an addiction to or an investment in. Hey, what's going on, podcast land? It's Josh Trent, and you're here on Wellness Force. We're talking today with a man who coined a term that I, I know you've never heard. You've never heard this. Endowaska. Endowaska. This man has written two books about the science and physiology of the natural DMT state in the human body. That's right. No plant medicines needed. No going to the jungle or having to do anything other than accessing natural endogenously produced DMT right inside the human body. You do this via meditation, breath work, sound, darkroom, float tanks, and other environments, I was turned on to this powerful speaker and author by our previous podcast guest, Dr. Edith Ubuntu-Chan. And today on the podcast is the one and only John Chavez. He is the founder of DMT Spirit Quest. Now you're probably thinking, wait a minute, I thought DMT was only found in ayahuasca and other plant and animal compounds out there in the wild? Well, this is true. You, you can find DMT in those places, but You can also find it when we access the states of breathwork, sound, meditation, and other environments that help the body to produce its own psychedelic state. Isn't this amazing, by the way? We live in such a beautiful world. Sometimes I'm blown away by just how fascinating all of this stuff is, which is why you and I are here on this Wellness Force podcast at the intersection of physical and emotional intelligence. We're about to dive into this incredible conversation with a very intelligent mind and a brilliant soul. But before we do... I'm giving love and acknowledgement to our show sponsor, Cured Nutrition. First of all, well, because I love Joe, I love this company, listen to wellnessforce.com forward slash 300. You'll know why we chose Cured from a ocean of companies out there. You know, this is one you can trust. This is actually a company that you can trust. I've done the work on my side to vet them out. There is a whole world of CBD and hemp out there. It can be kind of confusing, right? A lot of people are curious if this stuff even works. Well, I can attest that the Cured Full Spectrum Organically Farmed Hemp absolutely works. I get stuff sent to me all the time by companies that say, try our products and then post about it on Instagram. Well, none of it compares to Cured Nutrition. Here's why. They grow it in Colorado under the bright sun. They constantly test and reformulate to make sure that this wide, rich variety of terpenes and all the parts of the plant, get this, not just the leaves, but the entire plant, that full spectrum gets into the oil, which then goes in my body. I take it under my tongue for a minute at night. I do some deep breathing and it has radically shifted the way that I sleep. Give Cured Full Spectrum Organically Grown Hemp a test drive 
over at wellnessforce.com forward slash cured. Be sure to use the code wellnessforce because you get 15% off your entire order. Share that with friends, by the way, 15% off your entire order with the code wellnessforce. If you've been curious about full spectrum hemp, what it can do for you, otherwise known as CBD, consider heading over to wellnessforce.com forward slash cured. They help make this podcast possible and they support us while they give you the gift of better health for less money. Wellnessforce.com forward slash cured. Now, I know you're going to love this podcast because if you're a fan or just an enthusiast about how to achieve better flow state or productivity in your life, you know, getting things done and enjoying it while you do it, or if you go down the path of breathwork, float tanks, plant medicine, or psychedelic therapies, if you're interested in that or if you've been down that road, this is a fascinating one. This conversation about natural production of DMT in the body, we'll talk about how DMT research is solving the stress, anxiety, cancer, and chronic illness rising tide. We'll also explore John's number one advice for tapping into our next level of human possibilities, as well as all things personal growth when we look at it through the lens of DMT and altered states. Now, just a reminder, this podcast is not about doing drugs. <laughs> this podcast is about human potential. So keep an open mind. Let us know what you think about this episode and do me a quick favor. If this inspires you, which I know that it will, leave us a five-star review at wellnessforce.com forward slash review. Every month, we pick one audience member, and we give them 90 days of Organifi for free. 90 days of Organifi. Just leave us a quick review over at wellnessforce.com forward slash review, or just go to iTunes, leave us a podcast review there. We'll announce the winner, which is you, on the Facebook page this month. Your reviews are so important to us. It's how this show reaches more intelligent people like yourself. So now buckle up. This is a big one with the one and only John Chavez, founder of DMT Quest. John, welcome to the show. Right on for having me, man. I'm excited to do this with you. You know, we were talking before we recorded here about just this experience and gratitude. And you were talking about how you were grateful for your parents. And I was saying how grateful I was to be in this moment. And it's kind of a mystery, you know, as we explore this conversation about endogenous DMT. You have this term that you call in your book, Questions for the Lion Tamer, Endo Waska, which we're also going to talk about. We've explored a lot of topics on the show about the human condition. You know, what are we actually doing? here? What is this mystery? Why do we go through periods of having gratitude and then depression and all these different emotions that manifest into physical disease? But to start us off, man, tell us this name. I got it. Right when I saw it, I was like, I have to know the name of this, why he chose it. Questions for the Lion Tamer. Why did you name your book Questions for the Lion Tamer? Well, you know, I have the I guess the intuition that, uh, you know, everybody has this sort of lion spirit within themselves. And I feel us as a society has kind of been not dumbed down, but we have been programmed to, I guess, think that we are not empowered, that we don't really have that much ability and that, you know, we always have to rely on a higher power in the forms of doctors or, you know, things of that nature to answer our questions or even our, our you know, to understand our, our true abilities. And I always just thought it was pretty funny to see a, a little man with a little whip uh, controlling the king of the jungle. And that's the way I feel that it is. It was like, how'd you, how'd you play that? How'd you go ahead and trick the lion? You know, how did you go ahead and trick humanity for so long into making us believe that we don't have these capabilities that we actually do have um, once we delve down the rabbit hole of altered states and things of that nature? So that that's pretty much where it just came to me just like that in a mm. flash. And I just ran with it. <laughs> 
Oh, so such a powerful metaphor too. I, I've even seen on social media, John, there's like a horse, a huge horse attached to a plastic chair by a leash. And it said mindset, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, like, or even how elephants are trained. You know, I think it's easy for us to forget, like we're a soul having an experience in a physical body. And yeah. a lot of people um, get caught up in this 3D world where they become victims to society or their responsibilities, or even John, like things that are taught to them by their parents lovingly most times that get integrated and downloaded and imprinted. And then that person never really reaches their potential. And one thing I know you talk about in the book where it's delving into the mystery that is DMT is really the question that I'd love to, to ask you right now, the mystery of why some people expand in their, into their potential and then the mystery of why some people never, ever actually reach their potential. Why, why do you think that is? Wow, that's a really complicated question. And, you know, it's hard because I don't really like to generalize because everybody's had different forms of trauma in their life. And I think that, you know, if we're talking about spirituality, I think that uh, everybody has a role to play in certain lifetimes. And when we think of people reaching their full potential, uh Maybe it's just happening in, in a specific lifetime and in a different lifetime, they have to go ahead and maybe slow the rolls down and have different sort of more mundane experiences where they don't fully flourish. So mm. maybe they can come back and have that full flourishing at a different point in time. I know we're going straight into the esoterics, which is something that I love. But um, th does that make sense? I feel I feel as though it's it's the timing for everybody. Yeah. Just like just like for me, I feel like. Uh, I wasn't flourishing until I had a sort of spiritual awakening. And now at this point, I do feel like I'm, I'm manifesting the way that I need to in this lifetime. And I think timing is everything. So yeah, we, have to, we have to be patient to see things unfold. I love the way you answered such a complicated question with a simple solution, because uh, whether you believe that this is the only life or not, there's got to be, there's got to be something else out there that helps and shapes and directs us. Otherwise, I don't think we'd have access to DMT. I don't think that these chemicals and plants and things would exist either endogenously or exogenously. We wouldn't be able to experience them. We're, we're in this kind of soup, like a cosmic soup. And it is this big mystery. And sometimes for most people that are healers, uh, whether it's breath work, we had Niraj Naik on the show. We've had Krista Arecki on the show. We've had Dr. Edith on the show. Now we're having you on the show. Edith and I came together and that's why you're here with us. There is something to be said about healers that go through their own healing. And I know for you, like that's exactly what happened. I think it was 2013. Um, you were, you had not necessarily led a healthy lifestyle up to that point, right? Like this is what led you to, to write questions for the lion tamer, but it was really understanding that metaphor within yourself. Can you, can you share with us the, the quick synopsis of your story? Like, I think you were, you weren't exactly the health promoter. You were drinking, you were eating unhealthy foods for a while, but it manifested into something that, that happens for many people. Yeah, exactly. I think, you know, it's interesting because, you know, when I first had that experience, I mean, I'll get into it in a second, but I, th I was like, wow, you know, am I the only one who's kind of had these types of experiences? And then you look online and it's actually hundreds, if not thousands of it's healers. most healers. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's yeah. how they got their start. And you yeah, know, so it's like a polarization, right? You go from negative to positive. Yeah. So like you stated, uh, in 2013, I had a, this thing called a spiritual awakening. When I describe it to other people, they, they describe it to me as what they think is Kundalini. To me, I didn't know what that meant. But anyhow, up until uh, 
2013, I'd been living a very unhealthy lifestyle, drinking a lot, not sleeping well, having really no concept of what health was, you know, like drinking Gatorade and eating power bars, thinking that that was the way to health, you know, which, <laughs> you know, at this point, uh, I'm, it's, I'm quite aware that, you know, those products aren't necessarily conducive to one's own well-being. Yeah. Um, so in 2013, I accidentally induced a massive gastrointestinal purge that basically cleared my entire gut out. Uh, I was sitting on the toilet for quite some hours. And in the process, I started to feel like a life force start to return in me. And I felt a surge of electricity basically from my tailbone uh, up to the top of my head and even out my hands. It was a very electrifying experience. I, I felt a connection with uh, a sort of a source. It, it was weird. The only thing that I could use to describe the term was God, which is very weird to, to me, being that uh, I had been raised in a, I guess, a religious family, Catholic, Christian, wh wh whatever. Yeah. And um, I, I, I always considered myself an atheist in my twenties. I just felt like there wasn't really any proof of anything bigger than you know just regular life out there. And uh, at that moment of awakening, I felt a deep connection with source. I could only describe it as the creator or whatnot. And, and it wasn't a visionary experience. It was a very uh, of an experience of feeling like electricity, like a deep sort of, I don't know if it's a magnetic connection with everything around me. Not only that, but I also felt like uh, the electric wiring in my neighborhood. So it wasn't really just relegated to like a very fuzzy, warm feeling of connection with you know the source but it was also like whoa you know i kind of have a a different sort of sensation with the environment around me mm. and anyhow once i had this experience um i basically started at, right right that day when i had the experience i started to feel differently in my body like when i would take a shower that day i basically uh you know when the shower water comes out it comes cold and your body is, you know, is very uncomfortable with that feeling. So I would go ahead and turn that shower on cold. And I didn't have the sensation of coldness. And it was a very strange thing because I'd never experienced anything like Wim Hof method, autonomic nervous system control, things of that nature that I'm well aware of now in terms of the wellness concept. And um, I just started to, uh, I guess, explore these weird sensations that I was having in my body, almost like mind manifesting. So what happened when, when the water came out and it was cold and it didn't bother me, I went to put it warm, you know, just to, you know, get comfortable in the shower. And I just was like, let me go ahead and crank that all the way to cold just to see what happens again, just, just to make sure my mind didn't play tricks on me. And I went ahead and, you know, switched it all the way to cold, like they say in the Wim Hof method, boom, it hit me all over my body. And I didn't like I was bracing for it. And then somehow my mind told me that I was going to be fine. And I didn't feel any of that cold sensation at all. And at that point, I felt like, whoa, this is really strange. Like not only not only did I have a sensation of being connected to something greater than myself and, and that whole feeling, but I also have control over my body in a, in a very strange way. And fo following that uh, that moment and these sort of sensations like. You know, I would touch metal and uh, the metal would get really hot within three or four seconds. It was a very strange, uh, I guess, change in, in sort of energy transference that I really didn't have control over at the time. Did you, did you um, think in those moments where you're like, uh, John, are you tripping? <laughs> like, was it, a, was it a weird sensation? Did it feel normal? 
Um, it was very strange. Yeah. I mean, because it was it was the concept of like awakening to you know the field outside of us and also interacting with the 3D world it had changed. You know, yeah. And it just continued to get confirmed. Like for instance, my girlfriend at the time, uh, she had been diagnosed with lupus, and um, she came home that day and she was like, you know, are you okay? What happened? I was like, I feel great. You know, like I just started to explain to her about the experience. And I started rubbing her back because she had always complained about, you know, having a sore back and, you know, just having sore joints. And at the moment that I touched her back, there was like a surge of energy. That's the only way I could describe it. Energy or electricity that got sucked out of my body into hers. And within like two seconds, she she had a surge and she felt great mm. while I felt drained. And um, that, that, I guess, uh, opened me up to the possibility of energetic transference between two people in a manner that I had always been entirely skeptical of, you know. So, you know, just continuing down that rabbit hole, I'm only going to give a few more examples so we can go on to other topics. But a couple nights later, I went ahead and uh, I don't know if at night your feet get cold or things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Sometimes. But, yeah, sometimes. So I would... I don't know why, but I had the intuition to go ahead and and just visualize like a warmth in my foot. I just had, you know, the thought that if I'm having these weird sensations of, you know, electric disturbance with the wires, if you know, if I'm transferring energy between my me and my girlfriend, you know, autonomically, maybe I can go ahead and just visualize something to change within my body. So I visualized my right foot getting warm and in two seconds it felt warm. And I grab it with my hand and it was warm. The left foot it was still cold. I touched it, you know, from the inside, it still felt cold. And from the outside, it still felt cold. And I just went ahead and did the same exact visualization and it got warm within two seconds. So at that point, I was like, whoa, this is really weird. This is really cool. But this is really weird at the same time that basically you can uh, control your physiology based on intent or will or visualization or a combination of all three. And um, at that point, then I I was just like, okay, there's something definitely very interesting taking place via the mind, intent, and the body. And then the next day is where, you know, we get into the real, I guess, catalyst for a lot of my writings, which is uh, basically it was me and my girlfriend at the dinner table. Is after dinner. We were just kind of just hanging out, salt lamp, uh, you know, uh, ambient music, things of that nature. And I just thought to myself, Maybe there's a way that you can connect with another person in the same way that I I influenced my own right foot to get warm. Maybe I I can visualize this through the air and I can connect with her. Mm-hmm. So I didn't tell her what I was gonna do, and she's just sitting there. And I was like, let me use the same visualization, same exact visualization I did in my body, and just connect with her. So I get deep into the visualization, and all of a sudden her head just jolts back, and. At that point, I knew that this my visualization had affected her physically, so I ended up telling her what I was what I did, and she was like, "Whoa, that was really weird." And at that point, I got the intuition that maybe that's the way telepathy works. You know, I mean, I I'd always heard about the concept of telepathy, but mm-hmm. I'd never I'd never really been interested in any of this stuff at all. You know, but I don't know why I just got the intuition that maybe that's the way telepathy works. If I can affect her via just a visualization, then maybe I can transfer an image via visualization. And it ended up working like four times in a row, like very vividly, like very clear. That gave me my first 
taste of like true esoteric abilities, you know. Mm-hmm. And since since then, I've been able to train people how to do it as well. And for me, it's okay. It becomes a mechanism rather than magic. <laughs> Man, did you ever think at some point when you were in high school or when you were a teenager that you'd have an experience like this at all? Hell no, man. Never. <laughs> Not even close, right? What you came, you said you came from a, a kind of religious upbringing. And for a while, you even mentioned that you were atheist. Why was that the case? Well, because, I mean, there's a conflict in terms of education, right? You have religion that, you know, is basically just the religion that I was brought up in with, you know, the church. So it's based on the ancient Bible. And then you have education, which doesn't mention the Bible at all. Sure. It's, it's, it's uh, promoted as based on logic and reason and science. So for me, I always kind of go with logic and I had never seen proof of anything in the Bible that was considered magical. So I had to go with whatever was being taught in school. And, you know, just I think the more you get educated, formal education without any mystical experiences keeps you even more ingrained in that thought process. You know, there's like parallels between your story and the alchemist, Paulo Coelho, because I'm thinking about the young boy, the shepherd who goes out and he has this magical journey, really the hero's journey. This hero's journey for you, you even mentioned it. You said, I accidentally induced a spiritual awakening and then went onto the toilet and had this massive purge. Like, what do you mean you accidentally induced it? Well, um, I'd been having massive digestive issues for, for many years and I was kind of getting desperate. So, you know, I just, the doctors couldn't figure it out. So I just had to self-diagnose and become one of these heroes on Google trying to heal themselves, you yeah. know? And that's, that's what caused it. Cause I was, I was, it was out of pure desperation, you know? Was it like ulcerative colitis or what were you actually dealing with physically? I don't know. That That's a great question. I mean, all I know is that every time I would eat, I would get massive heartburn. Mm. You know, I didn't have re- regular bowel movements. It was very, it was very dysregular. Um, yeah, I, it was it was nothing that was ever formally diagnosed, you know, but all I know is that I did, wasn't feeling well at all. And at 33 years of age, like I was feeling like I was 80, man. Yeah. So there was something physically, do you look back and see how the emotional uh, energy was creating the physical symptom? Absolutely. And well, I see there's a feedback, right? So the emotion is causing the physical symptom. And then, you know, the physical stuff that you're putting in your body is also, you know, kind of doing a feedback on the emotion. So it goes both ways. Yeah. What, What was that for you specifically so that somebody can really connect with their journey. I mean, they may not have a spiritual awakening like you had, but what were the Mm -hmm. components that you were dealing with? Was it like an unprocessed trauma that was manifesting? I mean, share with us what that was. It was a very stressful time in my life. You know, I was trying to get a, I guess, a a project in terms of a sports entertainment going. And, you know, I, I just wasn't living a healthy lifestyle. I mean, at that point in my life, it was like, if, you know, sleeping is for suckers, you know what I'm saying? Or like not parting with the with the people that you need to get some done with is, you know, that's you got to be part of the group. You have to um, just kind of go with whatever the era was pushing at the time. And at the time, it just seemed like it was all about work, 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 try to find a way to get things done and yeah. play hard. And the way to get healthy was just to like, exercise as hard as you could in the morning times, you know, which is, you know, when I look back, it was one of the silliest mentalities ever, you know, and it's just not very fruitful for spiritual cultivation, physical cultivation, emotional cultivation, neurocognitive cultivation. Like it's pretty much the, the worst thing that somebody can do in my eyes 
is to feel like they can live like crap and then just work out super hard. I feel like that's probably the worst thing in the world. Well, it's a symptom of the work hard, play hard, really sickness that we've explored on the show before. And, and I found this, I don't know how you feel. It's about working hard and resting hard. Absolutely. Because without you know the yin and the yang balance, we are going to burn out and we're going to burn out as a society. Look at the way we're treating the planet, Mother Earth. It's the exact same way that we're treating our fellow brothers and sisters. So there is this kind of psychic abnormality or almost spiritual sickness that I think we're experiencing. And what's fascinating to me is that there you were having a breakthrough. You said it happened by accident. Was it really an accident? Yeah, I mean, at this point in time, I, I know that nothing's an accident, you know, absolutely nothing. And, you know, if you're really tuned in, then you'll see synchronicities everywhere. So then you'll realize that this game is very, very complicated. But yeah, no, it wasn't an accident. I feel like this is the proper right, uh, I guess, the life path that, you know, I need to take at this point in my life. And I, I look forward to the journey. It wasn't that easy, you know. I mean, these yeah. things come with a lot of challenges, you know, a lot of uh, friendships maybe kind of go by the wayside. And, um, Yes. You know, you have different perspective on life. So, you know, your relationships with yourself and others is going to change a lot. But I can only be completely appreciative for its occurrence. So the, the two books, Questions for the Lion Tamer, number one, number two is already out. And you also have the movement that you're, you have already launched. I think it's been two years now, DMTQuest.org. Tell us about the DMTQuest.org. Yeah. So basically, you know, what happened with my spiritual experience is that what I found following it was the difficulties in having conversations regarding it with people that are very entrenched in, you know, normal society, not the esoteric sort of aspects of life. And I had a cousin that that's, I was in medical school at the time and I was trying to tell him about my experience and he was just kind of like brushing me off. He's like, you know, go look up DMT. And I was like, DMT? I never even had heard about DMT until 2014 when he told me about it. I had no interest in it, you know? No interest in psychedelics either. And, uh, you know, so I just went down that rabbit hole, got Rick Strassman's book, watched the, watched the Spirit Molecule documentary, a couple of Joe Rogan podcasts. And, um, you know, I, I started to realize that, you know, this is interesting being that, you know, DMT is a molecule made in what we thought was the pineal gland. Uh, that we we know that it's made in the human body. It's already been labeled as a spirit molecule. Maybe it has something to do with mystical experiences, you know, not just hallucinatory phenomena. So I got, you know, deep into the research and I started to realize that, um, you know, Rick Strassman's study in the 1990s was really interesting because he administered four different levels of DMT to the volunteers in his study. Uh, two of the levels were sub-psychedelic, meaning that there were no visionary experiences from the administration. But, at the lowest levels, he did see a, a, a very, I guess, pronounced increase in like a feeling like euphoria. Uh, one of one of the subjects even described it as feeling like heroin. And that really is what I guess connected me with my experience. because I felt like a deep euphoria, not just for that day following my massive purge, but for like six or seven weeks, like a deep euphoria that I'd never felt before in my life. And the fact that I guess uh, sub-psychedelic levels of, of DMT can induce deep euphoria. I, I felt like that was a very interesting tie-in with my, with my experience and that I could probably use that, the popularity of that molecule to begin discussing my experience with others in a rational manner. 
So that's really the basis of, I guess, my my journey is learning how to make communicative bridges between the esoteric, you know, experiences that people tend to have and, you know, science of today. So, yeah, the the basis of my book is trying to delve into much of the, the the mechanics, the replicable mechanics, the reliable mechanics that we see during altered states of consciousness that seem to have so much overlap with, you know, I guess, cousin states. Like you have states like lucid dreaming, and they're very similar to things like hypnosis. And mm-hmm. hypnosis has a lot of mechanical overlap with things like meditation and things of that nature. And the hypothesis is that uh, endogenous DMT is upregulated during all these states. That's that's the what I'm kind of uh, uh, building in the book is that based on you know all the brain activity studies out there, and based on what we know that psychedelics and exogenous DMT, the type of brain activity that those things induce, there seems to be a lot of overlap. So there's still a lot of research that needs to be done. But the DMT questing is all about raising the funds to go ahead and do these things in a scientific manner. So that's why I've linked up with the University of Michigan. They're the leading endogenous DMT research lab in the world. Dr. Jima Borjigan, John Dean, Nick Linos, those are the researchers that are going to be carrying the torch in terms of performing all the studies to try to decipher uh, the meaning behind endogenous DMT, endogenous 5-MeO-DMT, as well as, uh, you know, we also have monamine oxidase inhibitors that are produced naturally within the body that a lot of people aren't aware of. When we have the discussions regarding endogenous DMT, it's it's a very uh, defined and reduced uh, conversation many times. But, you know, when, when we're talking about things like ayahuasca, the body does produce a, a very, actually a more complex version that I call endowaska, stands for endogenous ayahuasca. Oh, let's talk about that a little bit because breathwork, float tanks, meditation. I even did a Vipassana, a 10-day Vipassana, and I had a very mystical experience. Except for, I'll tell you, John, before the mystical experience in my 10-day Vipassana, there was a lot of anger. There was a lot of frustration, you know, because being still, not speaking, not looking at anyone, just being with you, your breath, and your thoughts for 10 days, it was pretty stressful. (laughs) It was pretty stressful. (laughs) And I think that's what most people, I really want to stress this to the people watching and that are present in this conversation. We're not talking about doing drugs on this show. We're talking about achieving real awareness through an altered state of consciousness. And whether you want to describe consciousness as the observer, the superego, the ID, whatever model you want to express it as, there is something to be said about us controlling the mind. And when we control the mind, we stop becoming a slave to the mind. And so many people right now, mental health crisis is a massive epidemic. I mean, it's our whole focus for 2020, John, is really helping helping humans get rid of mental health issues. And, and like you said, the food is one part of it. The thoughts are another part of it. But what is so special about the DMT, specifically the, the kind that our body can create through breath work or through flow states or through visualization and meditation? How can endogenous DMT, and maybe explain to the audience what that actually is, help mm-hmm. us stop being a slave to our own mind? Yeah, well, the way that, you know, there's so much hype around psychedelics these days, you know, and because they have good effect, it's not that it's unwarranted, but yeah. one of the one of the underlying properties of psychedelics is their neuroplastic abilities. Neuro standing for having to do with the nervous system, plasticity having to do with the ability to change or mold something. And DMT is an endogenous psychedelic, meaning that it's naturally produced within the human body. 
actually recent study shows that it's produced throughout the human brain, not just the pineal gland. You're talking about. I've also heard specifically in the lungs too, right? That's a major area. That was uh, a leading hypothesis uh, based on the enzyme needed to uh, create DMT, which is called INMT. But what they did find for the first time at University of Michigan this past June was that that same enzyme INMT is found throughout the brain. Mm. Yeah, so that changes the the concept. That changes the conversation altogether, yep. really. And I'll I'll get deeper into that study in a little bit. But what I was going with in terms of the neuroplastic aspect of psychedelics is that endogenous DMT naturally produced within the human brain, upregulation of that chemical also induces neuroplastic properties. So that that allows us to change our neural pathways, which allows us to change our perception. And perception is everything, right? So change our way of thinking, change our perception, change our life, really. And that's why I feel like things like breathwork, Wim Hof Method, I saw that you have a 21-day uh, process. Anything along those lines is always going to be a step in the right direction. You know, one of the the most interesting things about the recent study about um, endogenous DMT was that we found that it's not only synthesized at the pineal gland, but it's also synthesized at the choroid plexus. The choroid plexus is where cerebral spinal fluid is made in the brain. I like to call the choroid plexus the lungs of the brain. Basically, there, there are two formations on both sides, the left and right hemisphere. Mm. And the fact that DMT is made at the side of the choroid plexus in concentrated amounts and that breath work directly affects not only the amount of cerebral spinal fluid being produced, but also the circulation of that cerebral spinal fluid. And if you look at a lot of neurological disease, we're talking about Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, dementia, even schizophrenia, a lot of them have, uh, I guess, a, a lack of fluid dynamics in the brain. And they see that you know, this is a, this is, I'm getting into periphery correlations, but they see a lot of lung dysfunction in a lot of these neurological disease. And I believe there's enough evidence to show that, you know, proper breath work, proper breathing causes, uh, I guess, more optimized fluid dynamics in the brain, allowing us to kind of clear out debris, not only when we sleep, but also when we're awake. Yeah, I love this. Most people in our in our stress reduction breathwork program, we talk about the four diaphragms. One of them is that is that cranial space, and so you'll even see this when Wim Hof does his demonstration on YouTube. It's breathing from the pelvic floor all the way through the spinal chain into the back of the cranium, and that I love that you mentioned that because there is a washing effect. There's a cyclical fluid effect where if somebody's never taken a deep breath, they're breathing only through shallow forward flex chest posture. They don't have any innervation of the vagal nerve into the diaphragm, they're never going to get the health benefits of taking those cyclical deep breaths. Is this what the research is showing that breath work, by the way, I've seen this, I felt this with my colleagues, we're talking about it right now, I feel like it's being downloaded across our, our network. Do you feel like breath work is going to be a tool to help people access that endogenous DMT as we move forward with mental health? Absolutely. It's going to be the number one tool because everything else is a little bit tricky. I mean, other than music, because it's a very music is kind of passive. You don't have to actively work. But um, from what I've seen, the quickest way to get in an altered state is breath work. You know, absolutely. I mean, faster than hypnosis, faster than meditation, you know, deep breaths through the nose is, is the quickest way to get there. And like I said, the fluid dynamics also correlate with the cleansing of the brain, which I feel DMT has a big part. It also DMT also acts as an antioxidant, anti-inflammatory. So, producing these sort of chemicals would seem to be uh, optimal for the brain. 
I I get to introduce you to Anthony DiClemente from Biohacking Secrets. Anthony, um, I helped go down to Rhythmia. He came back. He reported through his research antimicrobial properties of ayahuasca with the DMT. Also, like you had mentioned, um, higher healing properties through taking away the toxins, really, that are produced when people are in dis-ease, right? In a state of not ease. But I got to yeah. ask you, like, you know, through my journeys, I've done almost, I think, almost 15 sits with Mother Ayahuasca at this point. Uh, what are the pros and the cons of someone taking a psychedelic substance like ayahuasca versus really focusing on the natural things like breath work and, and meditation and vipassanas? What's the pro and the con of taking and drinking the medicine versus focusing on the endogenous release of DMT? Well, you went to a great place, Rhythmia. So I think they have a, a really good protocol. They have a good set and setting. But I've seen it, you know, with the popularity increasing in, in psychedelics, you have a lot of kind of shabbier sort of shamans out there that, yeah. you know, they, they can really affect your experience. And I feel like when you're in the psychedelic state, you're very moldable. You know, your brain can go this way or that way. And I feel that uh, that's one of the risks involved with psychedelics is uh, – is not having a proper support system before, during, and after the experience, which can lead some people to have some sort of trauma following it. I think that's a risk uh, for other people that might have heart conditions or, or things of that nature. There can also be some minor risks involved. So sure. I'm not an I'm not an expert on psychedelics, but this is just as an outsider comparing it to things like breath work. You know, one of one of the interesting things that I read late last year was uh, a story. I don't know if it was about rhythmia. But it was a story about um, like elderly citizens taking ayahuasca and psychedelics. And one part of the story was that there was a couple, a, a man and a woman, and they went down to, uh, I don't know if it was Rhythmia, but one, one of those centers. And because the husband had a heart condition, he was not allowed to do ayahuasca. They had doctors on site. Yeah, so it they may have been Rhythmia. Everybody out. They don't let people go in there yeah, to have conditions. Okay, then this yeah. story was probably about Rhythmia. Yep. And uh, so the woman, the woman actually did the ayahuasca ceremony while the husband did a extended breathwork ceremony. And it was interesting because the story was that the man had a super mystical experience just from the breathwork. Yeah. And while the woman, his wife had a mystical experience from uh, ayahuasca and it basically created a sort of a honeymoon effect for them, you know, after. And it's interesting because I've heard of to this. me, he, he just accessed the endowasca. And she, you know, hit the ayahuasca and they met at the same place somehow, you know? So your term, I haven't heard this before you, man, endo-waska. Uh, how'd you come up with that? What, were, you see, were you seated in a ceremony? Have you done ayahuasca? I've done ayahuasca before. Yeah, I've tried it once. Yeah. Um, I didn't have uh, the experience that many other people discuss. It wasn't too visionary for me, but it, it was emotional. I guess for, for me, I came up, I, you know, other people have used the term endowaska before me so i'm not going to take credit for it i'm mm -hmm. just saying like i i put the pieces together in my book uh in a pretty comprehensive format i put all the chemicals associated with altered states in the body that are even they even go further than just dmt 5-meo dmt bufonine and the monamine oxidase inhibitors produced by the body like pinaline neurocatin tribulin uh triptyline there, there's multiple ones I also add even, you know, the fact that our body produces endogenous morphine, uh, alpha endopsychosin, which is almost like a PCP, mm. uh, diazepam binding inhibitor that's almost like a Valium. We produce some very interesting chemicals in the body. So I think what it goes to show 
is that humans and even maybe all mammalian creatures are, are built for these sort of altered states. I don't think that we would be producing such a vast array of these uh, chemicals with psychoactive properties if we weren't if there wasn't a, some sort of uh, underlying purpose for them, you know. What do you feel drives you to continue to dive into this research with with everything you're doing with the book, the Lion Tamer books, yeah. two books, and also your your vision, your mission um, with DMT Quest? Like when you have those challenging days, and you're like, I'm sure you've had these moments where it's like, why am I even doing this? It's so hard. Uh, what compels you to keep moving forward? Like, what is it? What's the heart behind this? Um, I think it's the education of the public because I think that it's it's an important topic of education. Right now, there's a lot of speculation going on. And I like to go where there's a need, right? And there's a need for support for endogenous DMT research because, listen, you know, the scientific community has known that endogenous DMT has existed since since the 60s. How much money has gone into that specific field of research? Probably less than $5 million since then. You know, I can only imagine where society would be if, you know, something like $100 million was dumped yeah. specifically into endowasca research. We'd have a better understanding. There'd be more conversation. There'd be more, you know, headlines. You know, more people would be discussing this in a, in a tangible manner. And I think it would open up the conversation for, for people to discuss their paranormal experiences more openly, you know? Yeah. And I want to break it down to the bottom of the basement here, because the truth is, is John, you, myself, people in our community, even Joe Rogan, Aubrey Marcus, Paul Check, you know, a mentor of mine, really what we're all doing is we're shining a light of awareness of consciousness that these plants, this DMT, whether it's outside the body or inside, it can really show people the reality of how powerful we are, how much love there is on this planet. And it's really a guidebook on how to live. You know, these plants are ancient, ancient intelligence of which we're just beginning to scratch the surface and figure out what they can actually do. Yet, as you state in your research and in your books, we also produce these chemicals inside of our body. So if they're in our body and they're in nature, we all get to wake up to how powerful they really are. Now, to contrast that, there's a lot of forces in our world, the pharmacological institutes, um, you know, Bayer, Monsanto, all these different ivory towers that are stacked against us. I think we're going to win, my friend. It gives me goosebumps just to talk about it because the fact that you and I are even here, that this exists, it means that we're going towards the solution. It means we're moving closer to love. Yeah, absolutely, man. I think love is the key to everything. I mean, as cliche as it sounds and, and all that, um, I know that. I, I feel that in my heart. Me too. I feel that. It, and I, I just, you, I know it in my brain too. That's just, you know, how the game goes. But, uh, you know, I, from what I perceive of the world, conversation is everything. So scientific endeavors only go so far. There's the narrative that goes along with the scientific results. So, you know, the DMT questing is not just about uh, funding the research. It's all. It's also about, uh, I guess, executing a video docu series on the study. So basically, every time a study comes out, boom, we do a documentary on it mm. to to provide a layman's perspective, uh, a layman's ingestion of the content. You know, because there's a big divide between you know scientific results and the layman's perspective of what those scientific results mean. So you know there needs to be some sort of middle ground where we can present the data in a way that the general public can understand. And like I said narrative and and conversation runs everything. So I think that we need to be cognizant of that. If we're going to engage our, ourselves in an endeavor like endogenous DMT research, we need to understand yeah. that the conversation is everything really, you know. 
three different people that um, I'm going to link you up with and everyone listening here is um, my friend Nick from Stationary Astronaut. He has done something with Gabor Mate, also um, uh, McKenna, and he had them on stage talking about Meeting of the Minds. And also our friend, Dr. Lynn Marie Morsky over at the plantmedicine.org and plant medicine podcast, because they're exploring these things as well. The reason why I think all of us are converging in this space is because the drinking of medicine or the administering of DMT and psychedelic chemicals, it may not be for everyone, but dude, everybody can breathe, right? <laughs> everybody can go in a float tank. Everybody can sit in a meditation. Let's, let's get a little more granular. Uh, granular, can you give us some examples of what tools or practices on a daily basis that people can do to, to start getting this natural endogenous DMT release? Well, I guess for me, it starts with breath work and it doesn't necessarily mean you have to sit down and do like, you know, five rounds of the Wim Hof method and things of that nature. Yeah. But it does need to be conscious about your breathing, ideally breathing through the nasal passages, um, you know, at, at a deep, slow rate. Most people will never do that. You know, you'd be surprised. I mean, probably not your listeners, but right. for the general public, like you'll they'll never take a deep breath in, into the nose. You know? Babies do it though. Uh, Dan Brule talked to, to me about this. Um, Dan Brule has been doing breath work for four decades, and he said if you ever cover a baby's nose, it'll start to choke because naturally we come into the world and we breathe through our nose. I think it's fascinating yeah. as adults because of stress response, we learn to shut our nose down and breathe through our mouth, which then upregulates cortisol and messes our entire system up. Yeah, we're not uh, making all the good chemicals. I, I forget uh, there was a there was some sort of chemical that's very specific to nasal breathing. So I mean, just to start there is, is a key. Yeah, uh, I think you have to be cognizant of the music you listen to as well. I think uh, exposing your I think sound can be very powerful both ways. It could be one way to program yourself negatively, and another way it could be healing. So I think that. You know, starting with the breath work and being cognizant of the sounds that you uh, immerse yourself in is very important. You know, meditative states is good as well. You don't have to do it. For me, it's not about the length of the meditation. It's about the depth of the meditation. Mm. So, you know, I, I like to, I guess, promote the fact that, you know, 10 minutes of really deep meditation is better than 30 minutes of wandering meditation. So... Those are the three basic things, but you know, there's also the exotics like the float tank, like you mentioned, that could be really fun. That could be yeah. some that people can explore that a lot of people have, uh, I guess, uh, described having very psychedelic and mystical experiences from the tank. If you could wave a magic wand and you could have, let's say, $10 million to drive research forward about endogenous DMT, what would you do? Well, one of the biggest things would be to develop technology to measure endogenous DMT in the brain in a non-invasive manner. I think that would allow for a more dynamic measurement that you could utilize this non-invasive methodology, maybe via uh, magnetism, you know, being able to measure biochemicals in a magnetic format synchronously while measuring uh, electric activity via EEG. So we can have a better framework for understanding, well, when, you know, this person goes into deep meditation and they're hitting global gamma waves, you know, at a very fast hertz, uh, what type of chemical flux is DMT correlated with that sort of electrical activity? And then we can have just a better understanding of how these altered states kind of happen. And, and that helps with the conversation. That would be one part of it. Another part would be studying how prolonged, you know, maybe a 
darkness uh, affects our biochemical secretion in the brain. Breath work, how does that affect, you know, biochemical secretion in the brain? You know, basically all these altered states, hypnosis, meditation, uh, the out-of-body experience, things of that nature, we would be able to see what are the neurological correlates to these things taking place. Uh, one more person I just interviewed that, again, I'm extremely excited to introduce you to because I love your work, man. I, I really – I didn't know how de how deep it went until we got on this interview today. And I can understand now why, because of your own experience, it's driving you to start sharing this with as many people as possible. And, and someone that comes up for me to, to link you up with is Dr. Dan Engel at Revive Centers, um, because we've had Dr. Dan on the show twice. And actually just last week, he was talking about the way that people experience breath work and how they integrate that breath work into their programs at Revive. It's the very first thing they do, because he said, we can't just administer ketamine. We can't just administer these things to people. We have to take them through an onboarding process, like essentially a ramp up process. And I can see in the research, if we start getting military veterans and we start getting people with chronic stress disorders and we start getting everyday moms and dads, and then people that are maybe just high functioning CEOs. I know you're in Silicon Valley, right? Yep. So, so we have this amalgam of people that could be involved in these studies. What do you think we would find? What do you think the end result would be? Well, I think we would see severe neuroplasticity for sure. I, I think there are some some things that are already very clear that are taking place. The only thing that hasn't been connected, I guess, from a conversation and a data standpoint is the upregulation of maybe 5-MeO-DMT, you know, maybe DMT, maybe all the monamine oxidase inhibitors. We'd probably see a fluctuation in there. You know, the interesting thing that is kind of difficult when you're deciphering things taking place in the brain is that, yes, you're seeing a, a certain... Uh, electrical correlate to these experiences we we've seen this consistently is that um I, i'm pretty i'm I already know that you're very well aware of the five you know i guess brainwave states that sure. are mainly discussed they go from delta theta alpha beta to gamma and gamma is considered the fastest oscillation that we see and basically during all these altered states we're seeing just gamma across the board and so w w what i was getting at is that sometimes we're seeing these electrical oscillations at the gamma frequency, but it's not necessarily going to be so indicative of a biochemical release uh, that's necessarily measurable. So that's what I'm saying. Like it's it's going to be interesting to see how everything plays out. I can't say whether okay. we're going to see a definitive increase in these chemicals. It's going to I think it's going to change from brain to brain. Well, I think no matter if you're analytical or if you're spiritual minded, if you're if you're prickles or if you're goo, as Alan Watts describes. You guys know, and, and I'm sure you know this, John, like taking six full diaphragmatic deep breaths can shift your physiology in less than a minute. And we all feel that. We don't need like a scientific study to, to show us that. Yet it's so fascinating in our world because how hammered we've been by these ivory towers where we need proof. We need logical proof that something is working rather than just the report card of how we feel. <laughs> Isn't this fascinating? Yeah, I mean, I, that's it's. I've thought about that a lot. Right. Because it's interesting how the human human mind thinks and and what molds our thoughts. What creates a truth, right? Yeah. I mean, like to to really think, what does create a truth? And to me, it all kind of boils down to constant propaganda. You know, it just it seems like it goes that way. Just like I mean, listen. So I was talking a little bit about the the recent DMT study that was released this past June. And people are still referring just to the pineal gland when it comes to DMT, even though this recent study showed that it's actually more than just the pineal gland. But mm. it takes deep propaganda 
and marketing for the masses to actually get access to that information yeah. or else they're, they're going to be relying on old information or speculative thought process, which makes me realize that it's actually marketing that drives the, the narration for truth, you know, for new information to get spread. Yeah. That's a big, big part of the puzzle, you know? It's, I would say, 70% of my ability to share messages like yours has been my ability to learn, understand, and apply marketing. And, and it's not like it's some sexy thing, John. I just do it because I want to meet people where they are, and where they are is captives of the system. They're yeah. captives because we drive down the road, people watch TV, we listen to the radio, whatever it is, and we're just accosted. Our, our, yeah. attention, our attention is at war with itself. And I, I had someone on the podcast, I forget who it was, he said, attention is the new currency. You know, Our attention is literally being monetized, whether it's a like on Instagram or a video watch on Facebook. I mean, every single thing we do is being monetized and we're being monetized through this through our cell phones. Yeah. And, and I guess yeah. the, the thing that really upsets me, but also inspires me from a place of love is to share messages through this device that'll actually get people closer to the truth. And the truth is, is that love is everything. It's not just some hippie, like we're not like sitting around a fire, singing songs and doing a bunch of drugs. We're talking about practical spirituality here. Like that's what I feel from you. That's what I see in your work is taking practical, tangible tools and allowing access to higher intelligence. Do you feel like the there'll be a focus on that for you in the future. Are you going to write another book? Like what's coming next in this practical spirituality aspect? You know, one of my biggest passions is the, you know, the mechanics of spontaneous remission of disease. And that's why I find, you know, guys like Wim Hof so interesting and guys like Joe Dispenza so interesting because it yeah. seems like that's one of their focuses on, uh, you know, yeah, altered states are great to have these visual, visual experiences, but there's there's a need at this point in society for, uh, you know, quick healing, optimized healing. And if we can learn how to tap into these altered states to heal physically, not just emotionally, not just, you know, from depression, but also physically, I'm talking about, you know, cancer, whatever, you know, diabetes, through these things like deeply altered states of consciousness via the upregulation of the endowaska system, allowing us to have, you know, autonomic influence over our internal organs, you know, things like that. I think these things are happening right now, but they're just not widely known. So that's really one of my passions is to spread that sort of uh, knowledge of the human potential, you know, just that full human potential in a tangible manner. And I think that once we solidify that, in terms of, you know, the the physical healing process, then we allow us to have conversations about what else there is, you know, mm. you know, like, l l listen, man, we brought in 20 people and, you know, maybe 10 of them had a spontaneous remission of a severe disease within whatever, a few weeks that allows us to be like, hey, man, there's something here. We can go into something deeper, you know? Yeah. And something deeper is the fact that cancer disease, especially, um, autoimmune disease, right? Where the body attacks itself. I found that in all my interviews with experts that it's essentially all boiling down to self-love, self-care, and some kind of looping thought process that's connected to some kind of belief. This is why in, in our stress reduction program, we talk about the BTFA loop, belief, thought, feeling, action. The belief is everything. And this is the crazy part. This is the question I want to ask you. In your research, and I'm, and I'm curious if this even comes up in conversations, we had um, someone on the show and it was about past life. And um, we did a podcast about how beliefs can sometimes be installed three generations back and how tools like DMT, whether it's outside or inside the body, can help us see that the beliefs and the thoughts that we're having, they aren't actually ours. 
Have you experienced this or have you researched this? Absolutely. Actually, I felt that, you know, when I had my awakening, I was, <laughs> it, it was very, it was very, it was the strangest thing. Cause I felt yeah. like I, I'd fully inhabited my body in a manner that I hadn't before. And I had control, complete control over my thoughts in a manner that I, I distinctly didn't have before that I wasn't aware of until I had full control, you know? So yeah, absolutely. I, I definitely see that. Yeah. In regards to past lives, that's a very complex discussion, but um, I'm happy to get into it. I definitely feel as though University of Virginia has generated enough uh, case studies to point to the fact that there's something strange going on, you know, even from a, a very like academic perspective, you know, like you can't just write that stuff off. Yeah. Like at a, at a minimum, you could say it's strange at a maximum. You could say it's proof, you know. Yeah. So Mark Wolin was the guest that we had on. We'll link that in our show notes today. And it was about his book, It Didn't Start With You, Healing Generational Trauma. And so he does things where he says he taps into source. You actually mentioned source. I wrote this down earlier. When you talk about source, and you could actually describe source to an analytical person, to maybe somebody in Silicon Valley who's super logical minded, how would you describe source to them? Wow, man, you got some complex questions, man. <laughs> well, this is wellness for us, John. We're, know, we're getting I in. I love it. How would I how would I describe source to them? Well, I guess I would describe it in a sense that uh, it's. I think that it's we we have the idea that we're disconnected from everything, but there's something powering everything on this earth. So I think for me, like the most tangible example of something like source would be the sun. You know, without the sun, everything on the planet dies. And uh, for me, that's, uh, you know, you can see it, you can feel it. We know the benefits. Yeah, we'd like to think that we can create technology where even if the sun dies, we can continue living. Not going to happen, man. Not going to happen. We need the sun to live. Everything on the earth needs the sun to live somehow and either directly or indirectly. And it's it's the driving force for life on the planet. And I feel like if I were to describe source to somebody, it would be something like that, mm -hmm. where it's... Uh, you know, that's, that's actually the underlying power for our, you know, our, our, ourselves, our soul. I love that. And I'd love to add to that because breathing, it's the only autonomic response that we can change with a lever ourselves, right? So it's funny. Um, Coot Blackson, who's a, a big speaker of personal development, he came on the show two years ago and he was like, you know, Josh, something's breathing you. And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, you're not always breathing yourself. Something is breathing you. Something is beating your heart. Something is digesting your food. We don't do these things, these autonomic things. Yet breath, for some reason, source, the sun, however you want to describe it, it allows us to pull that lever so that we can use our respiration to change our lives. And I think that right there is prime example for the logical-minded person of the power of breath and the power of that connection to the thing that's breathing us in the first place. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And it's interesting, man, since we already went to esoteric and go all the way. And uh, Edgar Cayce, you know, one of the famous psychics from the early 1900s was talking about the autonomic nervous system as being the part of the nervous system that's connected with spirit. So, you know, it makes complete sense even from that that angle. Well, I love what we've covered today, John. Like it's been really special and I've felt multiple times where somebody listening has felt excitement too. And that's when I know it's a good show. So when people want to take a step and they want to either support you in DMT Quest or they want to get your book Questions for the Lion Tamer or they want to reach out to you, like where do they begin this process of understanding the power of internally created DMT so that they can deal with stress, anxiety and, and illness? 
Uh, just go ahead and uh, check out the website, www.dmtquest.org. Um, you can go ahead and actually I have all the content from both books for free on the website. So this is not, you know, I'm not trying to make money out of this. I'm trying to spread the word, trying to just put out ideas, put out information. And you could always email me at jchavez, C-H-A-V-E-Z, at dmtquest.org. Send me any questions or comments or anything of that nature. I'm, I'm an open book, so if you have anything to share, then just share it with me. Well, man, just deep bow, hands together, because I know that the path you're going on is not like the easy path. Like you said, friends come and go when you're on this path, maybe relationships, even family members, man. I've had so many people since I've started the podcast and gone down this path of really understanding what actually is. It is not for the faint of heart. It is for the warrior. So just honoring the warrior inside of you and question for the warrior as we say goodbye is this concept of physical and emotional intelligence, we're at this nexus on top of that is spiritual. So physical, emotional, and spiritual really in the middle is wellness. You know, how does John Chavez define wellness? What is your definition of wellness? I think your wellness is based on your habits, you know, absolutely. So I think that, you know, the pillars of wellness have to do with uh, your sleep, your gastrointestinal, I guess, integrity and your bowel movements that I learned the hard way, uh, your, your natural breath, uh, I guess, rhythm throughout the day. I think those are three like excellent pillars to start. Uh, I guess if you're not already on your path to wellness, if you can get those three foundations right in terms of your GI tract, your sleep, and your breath rate, as well as you know your diet will come after that. But if you can get those things in line, then I feel that those those wellness foundations will allow you to connect with your higher self in a, in a more I guess uh, solid manner than if you didn't do those things. Amen, brother. Thank you for coming on the show. And we're talking more about John's work at wellnessforce.com forward slash group. You can also get the links for his website. We'll put questions for the Lion Tamer there. John, thank you for coming on the show, man. Thanks so much for having me, man. I look forward to connecting with you in the future. And, uh, you know, we're going to keep this thing going forever. Likewise. Hey, thanks for listening to the show, my friend. Everything you learned on this podcast starts with your morning practices. So from over 300 world-class guests, we pulled together six simple yet powerful morning practices down into a 21-minute system guaranteed to increase your vibration and the way that you feel every day. Get this free powerful guide over at wellnessforce.com forward slash M21. And if you love this show, share it with somebody. Share it with somebody that you love or that you care about. You can support the show easily by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. Just go to wellnessforce.com forward slash review. Or if you're on your phone, just tap it, hit the link in purple that says review this podcast. And the journey does not stop here. We're continuing this discovering process in our private Facebook group over at wellnessforce.com forward slash group. You can be a part of it. You already are. All you have to do is join us at wellnessforce.com forward slash group. And I will welcome you at the door. Now go out into your life and live your life well. And until I see you again real soon, I'm wishing you love and wellness.